Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by a generous grant from the Bush Foundation. This Ed Talks is titled, How to Lead So Adults Will Listen, and Other Lessons from Young People. Our featured speaker is Makisha Nation. Makisha carries a deep cultural understanding of the wisdom of youth voice that's influenced both by her personal experience of migrating from Jamaica to the U.S., as well as her role in leading youth development programs for low-income students, BIPOC and Indigenous students, and students from immigrant, multilingual, and first-generation backgrounds. Elevating these diverse voices is often not prioritized in American culture. Adults make decisions about the lives of young people all the time without their input and with far-reaching implications. Makisha will explore five essential leadership lessons she's gained from listening to young people and will also discuss how youth can have a powerful impact on adult leadership as they work to change power dynamics in education. She'll draw from her personal experiences as a young immigrant, as a mother of young children who is navigating K-12 and post-secondary education systems, and as a dedicated professional in the field of youth development for 20-plus years. This virtual Ed Talk was live-streamed online on April 12, 2021. As a little girl growing up in Jamaica, I was always trying to make sense of the world around me. I was very precocious and inquisitive, taking every chance to ponder questions I had with parents and adults. I loved school so much that sometimes I'd miss my bus on purpose so that my class teacher, Miss Box, would have to take me home and I'd get to spend extra time with her. But that all changed when I migrated to the US. Instead of being celebrated by the teacher and adults responsible for my education, my perceived differences were seen as shortcomings. They assumed that because I was from a small island country, I wouldn't do well. How could a bright, precocious girl who began reading at the age of four almost get labeled for special education? My kindergarten experience was very difficult for me. I continued to not be believed in by my educators that were supposed to believe in me the most. At one point, my teacher suggested keeping me back a grade. At this point, my mother, seeing me and knowing me, advocated for me and had me assessed through a test. The results of the assessment showed that I was actually more accelerated than the grade I was in. I was finally placed in an educational setting that was suited me and in which I could thrive. But I know if my mother hadn't advocated for me and stood fast to her high expectations for me and listened to what I was saying, I would have been confined to my school's definition of what they thought I was capable of, and I wouldn't be standing here today giving you this talk. In my culture, my ancestors have shared that there is wisdom in the voice of youth and in exchange of knowledge across generations. Youth are seen as actors in community, and the stories I grew up with model communities where children hold autonomy and agency. Perhaps this intentional effort in elevating youth voice comes from understanding that collective success comes through community building and collective community success. 
In the U.S., our society often makes decisions that have far-reaching implications for the lives of young people without considering their perspectives, their needs, or desires. There is a need to cultivate a culture of love in youth, to be their champions, and to understand them. As someone who's worked in youth development for 20 plus years, my greatest source of inspiration and lessons have come from the incredible students that I've had the privilege to partner with on their journey for change and growth. I have learned alongside them. Today, I wanna to share five lessons that I have gained from listening to the perspectives of students and youth with you. How these lessons can influence change making and shift power dynamics in education and youth programs. Essentially, I wanna to talk to you about learning because learning is at the heart of teaching and in the heart of mentoring young people. Two years ago, I had the chance to visit a school in South Minneapolis that focuses on project-based learning and understanding students' needs and challenges. I sat across the table with 10 students and asked them questions about what an excellent education means to them and what a great educator truly looks like. When I asked what an excellent education meant to them, one student said, I feel like a good education is centered around each student needs and personalized for each student. Another student, when asked what makes a good teacher, said, someone who respects you and loves you and is willing to do, the things, do things differently. They don't have that kind of attitude like they know what's best and they know everything. As I had these conversations with these incredible students, I heard time and time again their desire to be understood, to be held accountable for their goals and to hold their teachers accountable. At previous schools, some of these students felt like their teachers approached things from a I'm right and you're wrong attitude. But relationship building was at the core of their success. They said that when they didn't have a relationship with their teacher, those teachers ended up not having expectations for them that made sense for them, and they weren't rooted in their aspirations. They talked to me about this notion of creating a new relationship with students and teachers each and every day and rebuilding that from scratch in ways that had shared accountability and expectations. So what happens when we actually stop and ask students what they want? When we shape our expectations based on their aspirations and the knowledge that they are capable of so much. Studies have shown that having a teacher of color or an educator trained in culturally responsive teaching practices in the classroom creates a positive impact for students of color. At the heart of one study they found, the reason teachers of color had such an impact on students from the same communities was because they held high expectations for their students. This comes from knowing your students, being unwavering in their belief in their brilliance. So being taught by someone from a similar race or similar life experiences is transformational for students who face barriers to academic success. But white teachers willing to invest in anti-racist learning themselves that commit to learning about their students' culture, their beliefs, their values, can create meaningful relationship across lines of difference. When teachers understand their students, they come to expect more from them, and students grow their own belief in themselves to reach higher. Optimism and hope are the underpinning forces in this practice. It is truly remarkable how having a commitment to work with young people can truly make a difference in their relationship, in your understanding of your students, and how having them inform expectations that you set can serve as a guide, almost a blueprint, to create an enriching and fulfilling experience for students where they not only learn, but they lead and they thrive. For my next lesson, I'd like you to take a look at this, this image. What do you see at first when you look? Take a closer look. What do you see now? 
Can you see the second image in this optical illusion? Oftentimes, our brain, when it looks at an image, it makes a quick judgment on what it sees. And only if we stop, pause, and reframe what we're seeing do we get to see the second image. This reminds me of an experience with a classroom uh, that I had in North Minneapolis. I knew a group of 11 and 12 year olds while I was running a youth development program in North Minneapolis. These kids were full of energy. They're the kind of students that can make you laugh without even trying. At times when I visit their classroom, their teaching fellows shared concerns that students were not engaging in the lesson or that they seemed a little distracted during class. From the outside, I guess that could have been true on the surface level. The students may have seemed distracted or uninterested, and at times they were talking while their teacher was talking, and maybe because they weren't giving that kind of eye contact, they sometimes missed a prompt that she was making. However, when I sat through the class, and I closely observed what was actually going on, and I listened to what they were saying and observed what they were doing, they were ahead of the activities in the lesson plan that they were engaging with. The summer teaching fellow and I began to explore ways to match the pacing in the class so that it met what the students needed. It turned out the students were passionate about science, especially when it could be applied to their life or demonstrate a real impact on their communities. As a result of this insight, the teaching fellow understood the students' passions, their talents, and their desires, and she planned a lesson for them around the Flint water crisis resulting in the students presenting a summer showcase that highlighted the science behind the crisis, including the health and learning implications for students and families, and it also explored the political and economic context and implications of the water crisis. Taking that next step to see what's truly going on behind student behavior wasn't at first obvious, but it resulted, in this case, in exceptional outcomes. The students were excellent, but that excellence needed to be fully, truly understood and seen. Oftentimes, as a teacher or a youth advocate, a mentor, or even a parent, you're focused on the gaps and the challenges that students are experiencing without balancing those things that are, they're truly exceptional in. A Teach for America alum, Allie Rockwell, was a biology teacher at Higher Ground Academy in St. Paul. And while she was in her third year teaching, she advocated to teach the school's first ever AP biology class. In a school with a student population that's nearly 100% Somali, and in this case, in Ms. Roxwell's class, almost majority female, this class represented a transformational opportunities for her students. One student in particular, Sam Sam, chose to return to her sophomore year just to take AP Biology, even though her family had moved and transportation to school had become a real challenge. Not only did she earn an A in the course, but she passed her AP exam at the end of the school year. And during her junior year at Irondale High School, she was able to take anatomy and physiology, a course that's typically only offered to seniors. Allie herself summed it up perfectly saying, achieving educational equity is about building and maintaining relationships, listening and responding to the needs of the community in which you work. Become a student of your students, know them and support them. There are many other things like this going around on at classrooms across the Twin Cities, and that innovation and that drive is propelling students to achieve incredible results. I was once working at a youth development program, and I learned that a student, let's call him David, was kicked out of the program for poor attendance. I asked my team, kind of, do you know what was going on? And their remarks were really vague. They mentioned that the student said he was moving, but it turned out the student actually hadn't moved. Um, and they'd been giving me like various excuses for what the action might have been. 
After some digging, a counselor at American Indian Magnet School in St. Paul informed me that the student's mother had been in a domestic violence situation and had been trying to move out for a while. Now, while she was unable to relocate, she did finally find a safer location in the Twin Cities for her son. This meant that the youth development program had made a mistake in not digging deeper to understand the reason behind the student's attendance. And yet, as I was discussing with my team, they were kind of reluctant to own up to it or to think about what we could do to correct the problem. They were really a great team, like, it, and they were really capable, but what happens is sometimes things fall through the cracks. This story makes me reflect on the implications of not listening to students and to digging deeper. And when we take our, this opportunity to see our mistakes as a learning opportunity, we can make changes. Otherwise, the student might think they've been kicked out of the program for something that they did wrong, or they're not worthy of being in the program at all. Self-work is an important part of youth development, of mentoring and education. Confronting your own limitations creates room for growth and models for healthy behavior and accountability to youth. I make mistakes. Teams I lead will make mistakes. But I know if I truly want to not continue making mistakes, I have to create a culture where I can learn, where others can push me in areas where I might not be acting in consistency with my values. I want students to know that they have a voice in decision making, especially decisions that impact them and their future. Understanding what goes on beyond the four walls of your classroom can be the difference between passing a class and completing a program or truly guiding a student to their full potential. As educators, youth advocates, and mentors, we have a responsibility to help students develop a greater sense of agency and an orientation that follows them well beyond the time they spend in our classroom or program. Some people often defeat themselves by acknowledging the way system, the system sets back students without understanding the role that they can play to push back against that system. They might say, poverty is affecting my students, or there's so many things beyond the control of my classroom, or I have so many students that, for whom English is not their first language. While this can be true, it is also true that there is space to take action against these systematic barriers. The first step is to transcend this way of thinking. Griselle Vidal-Munoz is a first-year core member in the Twin Cities and an English language development teacher at Hiawatha Academies. Griselle immigrated from Cuba to the United States with her family as a middle school student and began the really sensitive journey of tackling barriers faced by many ESL students at a young age. To her, advocating for her students goes hand in hand with orienting to a definition of success that goes beyond the four walls of her classroom. She sees her own experience reflected in her students. The students she works with are the same age she was when she moved from Cuba with her family. When asked what her vision for success for herself is, Griselle said it lies in building strong student academic confidence and helping them succeed in all their classes and growing their English language development. She shows up at all their fifth grade classes, even virtually, to help them know that she's there for them and is there in, with them to build community. As an educator, she's already thinking about how she can lay the foundation for their success in middle school, high school, college, and beyond. I bring up Griselle's example because it helps me reflect on the orientation to teaching that educators and youth development advocates need. Are you trying to get through the curriculum or the content of your program or instill in your students the skills and leadership they need that will hold them for the next chapter of their lives? How are you actually working on that? 
How are you developing their own leadership skills within your classroom that will follow them for a lifetime? Essentially, students are the ones doing the work to succeed all the time. It's hard work. But teachers, mentors, parents, and other adults play an important role in building agency through choice and guidance. When we go beyond the lesson plan and leverage a deep connection to unpack the context for our students, we have an opportunity to create learners for life. Let's take a look at what this commitment means personified and extended over years. I had a student named Doratu who migrated from Ethiopia to Minnesota with her father and her sister. She was an amazing young student. She was 11 years old and already showing such promise at a young age. She started school in an ESL program and was navigating that as a middle school student. Our program staff and educators took the time to get to know her, identify opportunities that she could take advantage of. Doratu and her family were able to access pathways that set her up on a pathway to success disrupting her educational experiences for the better. Doratu went on to attend Humboldt High School in advanced placement classes in St. Paul instead of not being mainstreamed. She got a full ride Gates Millennium Scholarship to Pomona and is working at Facebook today and she launched an NGO to help women and girls in Ethiopia. Understanding your student, their success, their lives adds dimension to how you work with them, and that context is extremely valuable. The best educational practices take place in environments where everyone learns. Educators, youth program leaders learn alongside their students. Most of the stories I've shared with you have been about learning from the student's perspective. But equally important is shaping programs and curriculum is the learning that comes from students. One of the greatest experiences I had was intentionally designing uh, a new program within our LEAD program, which is the mini MBA prep program for Asian American, Native American, Black and Latinx student, students at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. We launched a new partnership with the Native American Finance Officers Association and that added a new context to the LEAD program. It focused on Native American entrepreneurship and economic mobility. The program was diverse by design and brought together students from different backgrounds and identities. For me, this was an opportunity to not only unpack identity and the experience for the learners in the classroom, but for myself as well. While I had been familiar with my own black and Jamaican experience and grew up in close proximity to Latinx communities, it was the first time for me learning and creating a learning environment for an exchange of ideas around indigenous history and economic practice. As an anti-racist educator or advocate for youth, we can make the most impact when we learn alongside our students. In this program, the LEAD program, there was education for everybody involved. I personally learned more about tribal sovereignty and economic development in the history of the United States than I had ever learned before. This further helped me reflect on the interconnectedness and the intersection of identities and experiences in the United States. There is real impact in creating learning opportunities that are inclusive, that celebrate cultures and create opportunities for students to dialogue and learn cross-culturally. These are the five lessons that I've learned over the course of 20 plus years as a student, an educator, an activist, a mother, and a community member. And it also helps me connect to my own ongoing and continuous learning. When my oldest son was getting ready to start kindergarten, 
We were so excited. He loved learning. He was just so overjoyed. He was the kind of kid that would be like, mommy, did you know this? And did you know that? And he had all kinds of facts that he loved to tell. He'd gone to a Spanish immersion preschool and pre-K program with a global curriculum, and he was on fire to learn. Well, when I was tucking him in one night to bed within the second week of kindergarten, he looked like something was on his mind. So I asked him, how was your day? He kind of said, okay, and he seemed a little quiet. And after a while of silence, he looked up at me and said, in class today, we were in stations, and a little girl came up to me, and she said she didn't like the color brown. I paused and listened to him. I could tell my six-year-old was trying to make sense of this little girl's statement in his mind. He knew something was going on, but he didn't fully comprehend, and he couldn't comprehend how he should feel. He was upset by it. And he told me, Ma, we weren't coloring. Like, there weren't any crayons around. He didn't know what to do with this. And his teacher didn't either when, she shared this in when I shared this incident with her. She was not adequately prepared to foster this conversation with me as a parent or with her students. And, you know, this is not an indictment of her as a teacher or educator per se, but of our system and our society. My son's experience prompts me to think back on my own experience that I shared with you almost 40 years ago. I know what it felt like because I'd migrated from Jamaica to the United States just before, just before turning six, the same age as my son. I had never confronted racism or the notion that my skin color could determine how I was treated until I got to America and entered kindergarten. One generation later, and we are still grappling with this is issue, in order for us to change things 40 years from now, we have to choose to be different, have different conversations right now. It's not okay for generation after generation to experience this tension, this sense of not belonging. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to feel like we're valued and believed in in our classroom, in our programs, in our communities, in our organizations and beyond. When we don't tackle racism and its impacts, our silence speaks volumes, and we miss an opportunity to foster greater learning, curiosity, and a deeper connection to our humanity. We owe it to our students and the next generation coming after us to embrace this opportunity to grow in our understanding of anti-racism. Students will give us grace if we give them action. When we don't meaningfully see students and families and we don't disrupt experiences that they're having in our schools that are, one, potentially traumatic, two, failing them in terms of their educational progress, or three, not invested in their journey as a student and learner, it's very difficult. Disrupting these experiences are critical and the lessons we learn are important. Student voices and student stories matter, not just when I was growing up, not just when I was reflecting on the five lessons I was sharing with you, but it matters now and it matters for the future. If you take anything away from the stories and the five lessons that I've shared with you, I hope it's that you have the power to change your sphere. You have influence, you have impact. I'd like to end with a quote from Bell Hooks on the autonomy of youth. Love is as love does, and it is our responsibility to give children love. When we love children, we acknowledge by our every action that they are not property, that they have rights, and that we respect and uphold their rights. Without justice, there can be no love. 
Thank you. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League. Thanks to our generous sponsor, the Bush Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit achievempls.org.